1 p.m. on the East Coast, Wednesday, March 8th. Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan, back from a Grapefruit League spring training game. Yesterday, he had a great day. We'll be joined in a few minutes by the great Carter Braxton, worth of worth charting this market call. Dan, brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. A lot to talk about here, Dan Nathan. Welcome back. How are you? Yeah, great effort by our main man, Danny Moses, uh, filling in yesterday. And we hope maybe we could get a little more time from him on the market call guy, because I saw a lot of really great feedback about his contribution. And you know, you can have uh, more of Danny Moses every Friday on the tape podcast that drops in your what? In your what? Where do you in find your favorite something podcast like that? Or, or wherever you listen to your podcast? Wait, so, guy, um, you know, I was like you said, I was down in Arizona. Um, they call it the Cactus League. You call it the Grapefruit League. Grapefruit like, uh, League, yeah. do they even have grapefruit down there in Arizona or no? Maybe, maybe the cactus. You're right. It is the Cactus League out there. Ah, the whole same, thing same, same, same difference. Um, let's get into it because, uh, you know, again, two days of fed share pal is probably two days too many for you um on wow. the hill i think the, the only the only benefit to you is that you're not on the hill uh, i'm sure you might have a couple of decent questions for him here but um you know talk to us a little bit about this we were talking to danny earlier today uh actually in front of a crowd at that high tower event which was great our friend steph link had us there um but you know he just said this because you know this has all happened within a year right the fed mm -hmm. literally their first rate increase of 25 basis point since 2018 came a year ago okay and then they did four 75 basis point hikes and so you know at this point you could say okay the stock market discounted that sold off 27 percent at its lows or something like that the s p last year closed down 20 percent we're up right now. Do you think that's it, guy? Don't you think there's got to be a bit more of a lag as far as all of yeah. that tightening to the economy? And do you think that, again, we talked about it the other day on the market call that this is the recession that won't happen. It keeps getting pushed out, but it's got to happen sooner or later. So I think you're 100% right in your assessment that we're in the late innings of the rate height cycle. I would agree with that. I do believe we're in the late innings of that and probably correctly so. What I think we're in the early innings of, unfortunately, is how the markets reacted to these rate hikes. And I think therein lies sort of uh, what's been puzzling people, right? So many people want to say we're in the late innings of this rate hike cycle. So by definition, we should be getting towards the other side of it in terms of the market. In my opinion, the problem is, although we are in the late innings of the cycle, we're in the very early innings in terms of how the markets reacted or the impact it's had on the broader economy and the market so far, to your point, this lag effect. I don't think people are taking that into consideration nearly enough. Now, we're going to talk about it with Carter in a second. As you see, twos, tens, forget about 100 basis points. They just said, you know, we'll see it 110 because that's how quickly things have gone sort of pear-shaped on that front. And it doesn't speak to a particularly robust environment for the economy nor for the market, Dan. Yeah. And why do we talk about rates so much? I mean, again, and Carter's going to break down the charts, but we talk about them because obviously there is a impact on the economy and the expectation um, for growth going forward. The higher rates are for longer. The cost of capital is that much higher and a whole host of other um, reasons. And companies are forced to do things when rates are higher that they don't do when when we've been in that kind of free money period. And, you know, there's a couple of things here I think are really important. Let's go to this tweet from Urian Timmer, who's from Fidelity. Mm -hmm. um, and he's talking about that. And he's talking about valuations, guy. I mean, this is really what it comes down to at 18 times. The S&P 500 is pricier than what I consider 
fair value at 15 times. That's what you would also agree. The equity risk premium, the difference between the earnings yield and the 10-year treasury yield is falling. And you know, this is something that David Rosenberg was talking about last week. We highlighted that. The S&P 500, you see it once again. There's that uptrend. There's that 200-day moving average that we held, right? 39.40 or something the other day caused a couple people were talking about Mike Wilson's change of near-term tone, very near-term tone. I'm sure it was just on a technical basis, but that S&P 500, again, flirting with um, that trend line. And why is this important, guys? Well, we have the February jobs data um, coming out on Friday. Hotter data just keeps the Fed higher for longer, which means that risk premium should be lower, which means the valuation fair value should be lower. And at 18 times right here, uh, you and I are saying no bueno. Thoughts there? Well, I mean, that's the point that I've been making for a while. Maybe not as elegantly as some of these other folks have. But what I'll say is we're just two, we're probably two turns too expensive in terms of the multiple people paying for a dollar's worth of earnings. And I don't understand Again, for the life of me, why while we why we have seen until recently, this whole thing has been on basically valuations going higher. I mean, the reason why the market's going higher is not because earnings are getting better, it's because people are willing to pay more and more for a dollar's worth of earnings. It makes no sense to me. Again, yesterday to a certain extent today, I think the market's coming to its senses. But you know, even with that, I think we're still significantly overpriced given what JT said. And given what Rosie said is, is, well, probably, again, two to three terms too expensive on a multiple. And earnings are still probably too high. Dan, Danny talked about it yesterday. I think the average earnings estimates is about $222 or so, which I would submit is probably, I don't know, 11% or so too high uh, based on what we're probably going to have. So you do that math and you tell me where we go because I think I understand it. Yeah, I got you, dog. All right, real quickly, I just wanted to hit this before we get to Carter um, on yields here. Um, here's a chart going back to 1990 of the Fed funds rate. And you can see, again, just how quickly we've gone from basically zero, okay, um, to if they could pull that chart up, there it is, um, zero to what's going to be north of 5% uh, very soon. And, you know, the last two periods where we saw Fed funds go, you know, um, you know, above 6% and 5%, mm -hmm. okay, takes you all the way back to um, early 2000, um, where well, what we really around, What happened around there, Dan? I, I forget. Well, if, can I tell you, in 99, the 210 spread inverted, and then we had, you know, the Fed continuing to raise rates, okay, which was one of the reasons, and then we had the S&P 500 um, oh, get cut in half yeah. because we had a protracted um, recession that lasted, it was probably one of the longest recessions in the post-war period. Then again, into 2006, where Fed funds was last above 5%, and you see that it flatlined there, guys, so higher for longer is the mm -hmm. theme here. Okay. And what happened there? The yield curve again inverted. So you see that. Okay. Um, and then we had, if you look at the next chart, the S&P 500 got cut in half again. So again, I think it's interesting that we had a yield curve inversion. I know there's a lot of lines. There's a lot going on, but you get the point here. We had inversion in 19. In 2020, we had a 35% drop in the S&P 500. Um, it was a very quick recession averted by $5 trillion in monetary and fiscal stimulus, right? But here we are again. And, the, and this is what? 1981 stuff for the wides mm -hmm. and the 210 spread. And I just, listen, my take is you can push out the recession wherever you want. It's coming. And if the stock market's a discounting mechanism, don't tell me that last year discounted the recession, you know, a year before it happens. And before we bring in dubs, I encourage folks just to glance your eyes to the left of the screen and look, look at the duration. Look at how long it took for rates to go again from basically zero 
up to those levels that Dan just talked about, you know, north of 5%. Back in 04, probably took close to two years. It's taken effectively, as Dan just pointed out, one year to do it this time. So again, the speed with which we've gotten here is also different. And again, I don't think, I, I'm on the broken clock here today. I don't think the market or people are prepared properly for the the extent to the move and the speed with which it's happened. Yeah, um, I, I agree. All right, let's bring Carter in. Let's get his take on all of this. Carter, are we are we making are we making like chart fouls all over the place? Because no, I'm just all texting you. Uh, not at all. I, I was just texting you. I was uh, commenting something. Uh, charts are great. It, it's uh, you know the beauty of charts is you can see it's in the eye of the practitioner. You can see uh, whatever you want to see. And the point about that is that's not a negative. That's a positive because that's what it is in fundamentals. You can pull up any stock and you'll have an analyst who's highly qualified, highly certified, highly mm -hmm. educated. He thinks it's a sell and another analyst thinks it's a buy. Um, but we we try to make judgments based on the inputs that we have. Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, listen, I, I just thought it was interesting to kind of plot those because you know, some of the things that we're talking about here is that, you know, like this kind of higher for longer, a lot of people thought there was going to be a pivot, right? If we were just looking at the CME Fed funds tracker that we look at um, each week here, you know, I, I mean, a few months ago, there were rate cuts that were being priced in, right? And now we just learned yesterday that, at, you know, this 25 basis point hike um, that people were expecting at the March meeting here could be 50. You know what I mean? Like things are moving before our eyes here. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, just speaking of, you know, it's in the eye of the practitioner. I mean, think about economists. These are real academics. And every given month, they have this problem of trying to figure out the payrolls. You, you see the guesses, figuring out GDP. I mean, who would have thought that because of COVID, 10-year yields would go to 30 basis points? That's crazy. And yet, who would have thought that we'd come back this quickly and all of a sudden, um, uh, what, we, we hit almost 5% on the 10-year M2 is collapsing, but that's just a function of M2 having surged. There's always inputs. It's very hard to figure out. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you stick to, and here's the thing, you stick to an approach. You got to know who you are in the market, what your time frame is, and then apply it. And never, if you try a little of this, try a little of that, then you get lost. So it's better to dedicate oneself, specialize in something, doesn't have to be charged, be anything, and then stick to it. And over time, you'll, you'll get to a result that should be a good one. Yeah. All right. Talk to us about, you want to look at the 10 year yield. You and I did this a little bit last week. We were looking at some kind of longer dated charts after you kind yeah. of told us a little bit about the near term, but you got some great stuff with us here. And I think there's one trade that's kind of actionable off this. So kind of walk us through this a little bit. I mean, look, you, so the, the, one of the reasons we do it this way is to start with nothing, just to acknowledge that the lines that are coming next are put in by the person who puts them in. It happens to be I in this case, but it, it could be anyone. So let's put some lines in. Um, do those have to be the lines? That's what my eye sees. And so the question is, what is the message of that? And then if we put some arrows in to sort of make the point of how precise these are, my takeaway is not that that's particularly actionable. That's about to break out. Yields go higher, break down. It's that the 10-year yield right now, call it 395, is exactly the same level it was at the end of Q3. So September 30 to March 8, we basically are unch. Now, how is that possible after five, six months of yet firmer payrolls and, and, and firmer uh, data out of uh, ADP and Fed hiking and hiking and talking? But if it were all so robust and rates really were going to five or six, how come they're not? 
Mm-hmm. My hunch is that this is all in the topping process, that ultimately the market is ahead, that they're, when you hear talks of, of no landing, that's code for hard landing. Yeah, it's also I mean, no code. Landing. What the what? I yeah, mean, come it's on. code for, you know, I'm an asshole and I just yeah, want to right. come up with something that, yeah. There's that famous line, you know, the, the Joe Kenny, when you hear stock quotes from the boot black, that was what they referred to as a, a shoeshine boy. But, uh, you know, the cab driver, not to make fun of, Shoeshiners are cab driving, honorable way to make a living. But the point is when it's in the public domain, when people are saying no landing, that means almost definitionally hard landing. Yeah. We're gonna hit the we're gonna hit the hard deck. That's you know, what just so you know, what? that's kind of like guys saying, you know, I don't shine shoes no more. There, uh, well, I was you gonna know say, I mean? you know, Carl, you've been away a long time, you might not have heard not shining shoes anymore. Anyway, yeah. that's for another show at another time. But here's so here's my quick take on this chart and some of the things that Carter just talked about. If you want to sort of play this out in Guy Adami's mind, I'll say the following. And Carter mentioned, why are rates, 10-year yields going higher in this environment? They shouldn't be. It's somewhat counterintuitive. I agree with him. But I think we're going to start to see the following. And again, I'm not suggesting I'm on it. This is how I would look at the world. There's a chance that if the market cooperates the way we all believe that it will, in other words, if the market starts to sell off, you see continued soft economic data in, firm, in, in terms of the ISM and some of the other things that we've seen. There's a scenario where 10-year yields start going back down, so the TLT starts going back up, and the two-year stays firm. So this inversion, which is now out to 110 basis points, could actually get worse, which is something to sort of think about out there. So you know, I look at this, I think 10-year yields are going higher for the wrong reason. They should be higher because the economy's getting better. That's the furthest thing from the truth, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, again, you know, Carter, like we've made this call. You made it technically um, back in the fall, okay? Guy and I were in the camp that the 10-year would come off of four and a quarter, and it went back and it retested that. Talk to us like backing this thing out. You want to go out what, 20 years, or you want to go out even longer than that in yeah, the 10 yeah, years? Yeah, look at this together, and, 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 and you've done it, and it's a, it's a chart that's important because it, it speaks to the authority of the trend line and the touch points going back to the Volcker era, and this overshoot, right? And so the question is, um, the overshoot, and one could say, why do you call it an overshoot? It's just starting. If it's going to overshoot and do the equal and opposite move of the 30 base points, it projects the 9, 10%. Okay, maybe. But my hunch is that after this uh, move above the downtrend line that you check back, and I've tried to do some other iterations here just for fun. Now take away the trend line altogether, the last iteration. That's my hunch. I mean, I think we're going to go back below 3% and that we've kind of, we've seen the bulk of the, um, and it, what an extraordinary thing. The point of showing a log scale is to put this in, perspective. I mean, this is just an incredible moment um, uh, for the U.S. Treasury market to be the pre-COVID level, which you see there at three, three and a quarter, going to 30 base points, and then unbelievably, you know, 35 anyway, all the way back to four and a half. And now I think from here, one's right to buy bonds. It's interesting. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if we look at the TLT, let's just look at this quickly um, next, because, Guy, you just mentioned it. Um, you know, you look at that. Where would a retest of that downtrend, where would that put the um, the 10 years? Some, somewhere about 3.5% or so. Is that what your um, your your kind of math would, would equate it to a little bit? And, and then the other thing is, it's like, 
it would really take a pivot for this thing to absolutely explode. And again, I, I'm not sure that happens, you know what I mean, anytime soon, but you want to buy this on dips. Is that kind of what you're saying with the TLT here? Yeah, and, and for fun, just to show you, I let's toggle. I've got a log and then the arithmetic. So maybe we can go back and forth just quickly. Tog, toggle, toggle. So it just shows sometimes there's a slight difference. But in this case, there is very little difference. But to be fair, we're 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 kind of at a standstill here. And you use the word pivot. It would take something on the fundamentals front, meaning some sort of sign that we're, you know what, this is out of control. We're gonna raise 75 and just we, we're behind, or that we're pivoting. But for now, my thinking is to, you know, buy uh, TLT, uh, to buy uh, paper. I mean, look, you can get, frankly, almost 5% from 90-day paper. That's a good deal. Yeah, TLT at this point, if it gets down, if it gets up to that downtrend line, probably puts it about 104, which probably gets 10-year yields about 385 or so. I think if it were continue to go higher, I think ultimately you're looking for a push to 110, which as you can see was that recent high. Yeah. And that probably gets rates may, maybe down to that three and a half percent. And before we say goodbye to Cardi, you know, Doug Cass has been with us in terms of watching the show. He's, he's been texting both Dan and myself, but he sold out of his banks last week. And he's pointing out obviously um, that this, this environment is not particularly bullish for banks. And you know, Dan, we looked at some of these banks earlier today and a number of them are trading back to levels we saw in January. So, there are a lot of warning signs out there. Clearly, we're not cherry picking. I mean, we're just pointing out to a certain extent some of the obvious things going out there. But bond yields and inversions have a lot to do with all of this, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. And and actually, to to make a really good point, I asked Carter whether it would take a pivot to move the ten year. I mean, really, I think to guide the point that you've been making is that the ten year is likely to be more reflective of slowing growth, right? And so um, that's probably how that co uh, comes in the near term. All right, Carter Braxton Worth, we really appreciate Thanks, guys, you joining us for more of his oh, fine oh. work. Go to worthcharting.com. What is it, guy? What's the tagline that you like for uh, worth charting? No emojis. No emojis. No hearts. Just charts. Oh, oh, yeah, there you go. Thanks, guys. Look at that. All right, bud. Thanks so much. Um, guy, we're gonna let let's let's take a couple questions. Any anything like uh anything on the tip of your tongue I'm that you're scroll, seeing in the comments? I'm scrolling box? through. I mean well, here, well, while you find something, while you find something, let's just pull up an XLF chart because I think this is really interesting, guy, because we, we were talking about them earlier. Um clearly, and, and Doug has made this point on real money a couple times over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, something's going on here, right? You're seeing, um, and Danny Moses was making this point to us too. You're seeing a lot of these deposits being drained, right? And, and going into these higher yielding sort of um, accounts. And when you look at that, I mean, that thing has a date with its 200 day moving average. That's the XLF there. But you know, it's interesting when you look at Bank America versus let's say a JP Morgan, let's pull up the Bank America chart really quickly. I mean, that's down about 12% from its recent highs. And JP Morgan is down about half that. Like the relative strength, I think in JP is really interesting. Any thoughts, guy, on that? Are we just back to this kind of best of breed, Jamie Dimon? Like, yeah, stuff? I mean, he gets America. They clearly get the benefit of the entire world saying that they're the best bank in the world. And maybe they are. There's, I'm sure there's truth to that. And he's the greatest operator in the world. Maybe there's some truth to that as well. But at a certain point, they should not have, you know, a two standard deviation higher multiple in terms of price to book or price or whatever metric you want to look at than some of their rivals. So I think to that end, I think you've seen it before. And I think you will continue to see JP Morgan, some come back to the field to a certain extent, because although it deserves 
a premium valuation. The real question is how much of a premium valuation. That's something I've said for a while. And you look at this chart. I mean, we had trouble all through this very young year, right around that sort of 145, 146 level. Yeah. You can see it in the chart. We failed there now a number of times. Leads one to believe that, you know, maybe we take a look at the 200-day moving average with, with time decay and such, you know, probably gets you down to about 127 or so dollar stock, which is not unreasonable. I'm not calling for a bank crash, but this is not a particularly healthy environment. And one more thing in terms of yields, you know, you mentioned, and I mentioned it earlier as well, that yields should go lower at 10-year yields because the economy is weakening. That makes sense. I think you could also see the phenomenon in a flight to quality in the form of 10-year yields if the market were to sell off in a precipitous fashion. So you have a couple things working for the TLT long trade, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> let's look at the semis here, guy. I know I, I heard you guys. I listened to just, you guys. You know, that's, but, by the way, that's what we're getting. I'm going through the comments. A lot of people say, like, what, what is up with NVIDIA? And I, I can't answer the question because, you know, this stock is seemingly impervious to the broader market moves and now clearly impervious to valuations. You have, I think, you have a we have an ETF up now, but if you put up NVIDIA specifically, I think we can do that. I mean, it's it's I'll use the word. I mean, it's astounding how well yeah. this stock is yeah. traded. Forget about the hundred percent move, the ensuing move from earnings to current levels to me is is a bit perplexing. We're now, if you go back and look, and we talk about standard deviations, you know, we're probably two and a half turns standard deviations higher than the moving averages at some point. There's a mean reversion that's going to go on there. I don't know what the catalyst is going to be. And now you're talking about a company, Dan, that's trading at 20 times revenues and probably 60 times earnings, which, again, doesn't make sense in normal environments. It certainly doesn't make sense in a higher interest rate environment. Yeah. And I guess, listen, let's go back to the, the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor sector. And just, you know, again, that NVIDIA print, and I think both of you and I were like pretty shocked about the quality of or, or the confidence in the guidance that they gave and investors seemed to like it. The stock um, gapped and it's kept on going. But if you look at the SMH, I mean, NVIDIA is 11 and a half percent or so. Uh, Taiwan Semi about eleven percent. That stock is was uh, what was it sixty dollars? Now it's ninety dollars, guy. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you look at AMD's having a day here too, that SMH chart is pretty constructive. Okay, like let, let's be frank. All right, so it's basically established this little consolidation above the consolidation that we had in late November and December. It's well above its two hundred day moving average, but it's being driven by you know a couple of stocks here which have massively outperformed. Nvidia's up nearly 65% of the year. So, so semis are interesting because I think they fall right in the crosshairs of a lot of the issues that we're having with China. And, um, you know, and so who knows, you know, like what happens with that? NVIDIA is just its own animal. Again, I'm, I'm with you, but keep an eye on semis because this relative outperformance, the SMH is up 20, 20 and a half percent on the year versus the NASDAQ that's up 10%. So it's doubled the performance of that. And it's a small group of stocks that are doing that. And before we 5,000, we got to jump a little early today. Let's take a look at Tesla because a couple of people have made some comments. I mean, it's seemingly a week ago. This was $220 stock on its way to whatever people thought it was on its way to. But here we are now at either side of $180. And that's a pretty dramatic sell-off, again, in a pretty short period of time. Understanding, again, that the stock more than doubled since the, I don't know, late December, early January, January. lows or what have you. So. Here we are. But 
it's worth mentioning that, you know, it's still on a one of the points we've been trying to make is despite the bounce, the stock is still in a pretty significant downtrend. And at least today, that's illustrating exactly that. Yeah. Well, here's there's two things. OK, the, the news does not get better. Right. It, it just does not get better. The investigations, the product quality issues, um, Elon Musk on Twitter um, going on a rampage versus a Twitter employee um, who was fired indiscriminately, who has MS and the way he was calling him out. I mean, there's just so many things. Now, the most important thing is that the company and we talked about this earlier in the week on Market Call, they just lowered their prices on cars on their high-end cars for the second time in three months. And then we're seeing price declines both here and in China by all of their competitors. And so they're in a price war. And we talked about this is that earnings are expected to be flat year over year and margins are expected to go from 25 to 22% this year. If they continue in this pricing war, okay, with all these incumbents, who I actually would make the argument that Tesla with a $600 billion market cap has so much more to lose than GM and Ford and Volkswagen and all these other guys in China cutting prices because of its valuation. To me, if this was any other industry and there was this vicious of a price war and this much of a kind of you know CEO at the center of it, um, this stock, I, I think, listen, I'm talking my book. You guys know it. I've been short of this name and I kind of levered up in it too. Uh, when it got near the highs, I think it's going much lower. If there was any other industry and we had this sort of pricing degradation and this sort of war, I think we go lower. And that chart to me looks like crap. Um, so I think it fills in that gap back towards 150 from that earnings gap in late January. So and your point on February 16th, the stock traded, I don't know, 217 or maybe a little more in the aftermarket here. So here we are at 180. It looks like a precarious spot, guy. Yeah, I've been saying 165. I'll hold to that, and we'll see what happens if and when. But we got to wrap it here, Dan. I'm sorry, right. folks. We got a 5,000 today. I know we're a tad early. We got a lot of questions. We'll be back tomorrow, though. Thanks, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. I want to thank FactSet, our data provider, also our sponsor for this market call. We will be back tomorrow. Dan Nathan, myself, EY from SoFi. Good luck out there, folks.